Welcome to the Cowboy Office Show, where you'll experience expert analysis and epic discussion on key pillars of the equine industry, including sports, business, hobby, and the horse lifestyle. Your co-hosts are Jody Brainerd and Brian Dykert, industry veterans with over 120 years combined living the cowboy lifestyle. The Cowboy Office Show will help you get involved, ask more questions, and create change. We'll keep riding for you as together we learn from the ride already ridden, learn to listen better to our horse, and make our industry better for all. Each weekly episode, we'll take a ride around the industry in less time than you can load the truck and trailer. Drop your email at cowboyoffice.com to receive weekly updates and never miss an episode. Settle up as we ride into today's show. Hello, horse world. Reigning industry, this one is for you. It's spring and showtime, and boy, do we have a show for you. Welcome to the Cowboy Office. I'm Brian. Hey, and I'm Jody. Welcome as we talk NRHA, where we're headed in the horse show and event industry. We've got some great guests today I'd like to welcome. We have with us today Mark Blake, president of NRHA, Mike Hancock, past president, current president-elect and vice president, Mark's from Scottsdale, Arizona, and Mike from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. Mike, I've known longer than I even want to admit, <laughs> but both are lifelong rainers and non-pro competitors. We're going to talk the reining industry, uh, the pressures on the growth and change, the creation of the American performance horsemen, and much, much more. Gentlemen, welcome, Mark and Mike. Glad to be here, guys. Rainers, pay attention, as we've got the two best ones leading the industry on this show, just for you, as you asked for. Um, uh, Jody, we're, we're all carrying the same hair color, so, you know, we can... <laughs> I do want to remind everybody to go to cowboyoffice.com, put your email in, ride along with us. We're going to go ahead and jump in, get right into the conversation. There's so much to do. Let's start. Gentlemen, uh, welcome aboard. Thanks for being here. Um, uh, I can't tell you thank you enough. So anyways, we, we do appreciate you taking the time. Your take, the American Performance Horseman event was just recently in our rear view, min- rear view mirror you know, putting three high-level cowboy disciplines in the same arena on a completely different platform. I think it's fascinating when you take individual cowboy sport and start to play with team concepts. I thought that that's very fascinating. But tell us your take on all of that. So um, what's that mean? What what did it mean to you guys? Have at it. Well, I'll start, Mike. Um it was a honor for the Rainers to be included. Uh, I think everything started with uh, Yellowstone, uh, what Taylor Sheridan did uh, getting the reining on the map. Mm-hmm. I think we've uh, probably had a significant group of people that didn't know what Rainers were three, four years ago that, that uh, certainly do now. Uh, they, it was an opportunity for us to showcase the best of the best. And any time that you do that in whatever format, whether it's team or individual, I think it's good for the sport. It's good for the whole uh, equine industry. So I think it was a home run. Uh, the crowds were there. Uh, they said the uh, crowds were deafening. I was not uh, in attendance. Mike was. He can give us the uh, specifics, but uh, we have to be extremely pleased. Oh, without a doubt, it was fascinating. Mike, you were there in first person. That was. And uh, the first thing I'd say is, you know, thank you for Thomas Tull. It was a great event. Uh, You know, he's putting us, uh, as the cutting horses and the cow horses as well, on the map. 
uh, as the largest crowd that I've ever known to witness any of those three events. There was about 18,000 tickets sold, and it was it was electric, and the production was so good that if, if you weren't there, that's, uh, you have to kind of understand you had a, a big arena set up for cutting horses and cattle, et cetera, and then so that event took place, and then while they were taking down the panels and moving the cattle out, there was a, a singer by the name, I think her name was Cheryl Crow, I'm not positive, but she was up on Crow. the stage <laughs> and just you know had a great performance. I don't think anybody in the arena knew that the workers were down there doing what they were doing. Then, of course, we had the, the reigning competition, which was outstanding. The cow horse was extremely exciting as well. They had... Uh, uh, Thomas Tull's a band, I think it's the um, the uh, Ghost Hunt Hounds, I believe it was. They performed as well. And then, of course, they had the award ceremony, and that turned out very well. And then, of course, the uh, they had uh, Darius Rucker, an old South Carolina guy, uh, hooting the blowfish history. It was a great performance all night long. It's fascinating. Yes, it's changing the industry on all of those levels, from Yellowstone all the way up. And, yes, um uh, you know, the the common saying in the industry is cowboys cool again. You know, in the 80s, it was the urban cowboy and Mickey Gilly and those kind of things. And now what Taylor and these guys are doing, um, not only in the movie industry, but then when you really talk about the sporting function, getting in front of a completely different audience. Um, yeah, we were following along. It was, and I, I don't know what the analytics were. And I'm sure most everybody in the horse world was following right. along online. I, I think that I think just watching it online was was exciting, and I I think uh, you know s certainly if you'd have told me, Mike or yourself, you know, thirty years ago <laughs> that we were going to see anything like this, you know, we we'd have told somebody that they've been drinking too much. But uh, no, I mean it was it, it was great, and I and I, you know, this is not this is not throwing a damper on anything, but I, you know, I have a couple questions for you guys, and just for your opinions only. So. You know, Teton, you know, they did the total production, you know, they they hired the staff, they hired the judges, you know, and and on top of that, they have their own horses that are exhibiting. And, you know, I just kind of wonder, you know, is it an exposition? Is it a competition? Is there any conflict involved in, in a situation like that, guys, when somebody's putting up all the money and, and they're showing their own horses? question well i guess i'll mark i'll jump in it was an exposition as yeah. well as a competition so he did a great job on both sides you know i think it's a, a great big world we live in but it's sm relatively small in terms of the people in the industry we know each other there is a lot of um uh interaction cross-pollination you know from one side of the uh horse world to the other but having his own horses show I, I didn't have a problem with that because it was up to the rider to make that decision of which horse they wanted to take so they just happened to have some very good ones yeah and i i would throw in there that uh if anybody believes that andrea will walk into an arena to make just an exhibition uh, <laughs> and he's riding against casey uh we're not yeah. wired that way we're wired to win and they wanted to beat each other, and I think uh, that was uh, that was certainly uh, the, the mm -hmm. what happened. Uh, that brings up a very interesting point because when you talk about putting all of our sports on a new platform and truly getting an audience and attention, 
Um, the fact that there were no ties, there were no runoffs, all, all five and all three disciplines were unique. I, I'm just saying this from my own, as a spectator following online, I couldn't tell who was on what team. You couldn't, it, it wasn't obvious. I mean, if you didn't have a list to go by when they were um, each competing, and I hear you, yes, they all, they obviously wanted to win, and they were phenomenal horses and phenomenal horsemen. I think the thing that was fascinating was, from a sports standpoint, the first time I've ever seen a husband and wife compete against each other in the same sport, and then I'll take you one more spot because we had two two women competing against 13 um, males, and uh, all of those horses and all of those riders were phenomenal. I thought it was outstanding. I believe last year at the Run for a Million, Jordan McBurney and Sean McBurney showed against each other. In the Run for a right? Million, right. yeah. Qualifier, I guess. Yes. Uh, well, no, for the Run for a Million, yeah. Uh, actually... Yeah. Hey, Jody. Yep. They had both qualified. So hey, Jody, you, you mentioned there were yes. no uh, ties. I think if I gave advice to the judges judging that show, you've already got your top five. Just pick one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's so true. And a lot of times, you know, you get, you know, Brian and I have, we've, we've judged lots and lots of these horses and I'll get into that topic about the ties here later on. But when, yeah, when you get that level of competition, it, it, uh, it's amazing how good that those mm -hmm. guys can be. Well, the other interesting point, and I say this from the reigning discipline, because we've always beat this one up in our lifetime, Jody and Mike, is the multiple the multiple horses per rider per entry, whatever that is. We've always tried to maintain the fact that we could allow a rider to have two or three entries. This is proving the fact that that's not necessary. That's what mm -hmm. it says to me. Because all 15 were unique. You get to pick. I thought what well, was great. They qualified the top riders in each discipline. And those riders could pick their horse. And I don't know what the rules were. But somewhere within that last week. I mean, they had a. And so they picked their horse. And it didn't matter what horse. And I thought it was right. fantastic to see 15 unique ones. Exactly. And outstanding ones. Yes. Oh, every one of them. I. And, and the ones that they had back in the stalls that didn't show <laughs> were outstanding. Yes. Understood. Understood. Well, let's get to the big question. We're going to step right into it. Um, it's a hot-button topic, but we're going to talk about it, which is how does the NRHA adopt a modified sedative use rule for competition? So I'm going to let you guys jump on that one and explain to us because now the modified use is in rule. So one, how would we kind of get here? And then two, you guys as leadership, what does that mean? Where are we going? Whatever. Well, the modified use actually goes into effect uh, June 1st. Uh, we had uh, last year, the uh, board made the decision that uh, as we looked through uh, there were several factors that they took into account, and and one of the primary uh, things that uh, that really were kind of front and, and, and foremost were was the um, penalties that were assessed or that weren't being assessed uh, for years, quite frankly. And there was a reset. Uh, you you could get caught with a drug in in your horse, and and really no harm, no foul, and you just kept moving on. And and we felt that that was not the way that uh, that it should work, and so <clears> the <throat> part of that uh, discussion and ultimately the vote, uh, we made uh, stiffer penalties that will take effect uh, starting at the uh, Derby, 
there was, along with that, the uh, decision uh, to allow a, a small amount of, uh, uh, at the time, uh, I guess it was said of it, uh, romifidine is the compounded uh, version of that, and uh, that was put into effect. Uh, at this point, um, it's being reviewed. Uh, the board's taking a, a, a keen look at it, and we're in the process of, uh, of, of reviewing that portion. The penalty portion will certainly stand. The uh, romifidine portion uh, is, uh, we promised that we would review it. We felt this was a good time to, to make sure before it got started that we had a review of that, so it's in process. And then going forward as far as for the sport, and, and it's really about what's in the best interest of sport, the uh, plan, steps. I, I'm assuming there'll be adjustments, modifications, whatever that means as the data and results come in, right? We're taking a look at uh, all sorts of factors. We've asked the uh, membership to give us a survey of what, what, uh, what they would like to see. Uh, we are also talking with uh, uh, professionals, veterinarians that um, uh, are giving us their view of uh, the use of that uh, of that compound, and uh, we're taking all of that into consideration. Uh, depending upon what happens, we will we will always. It's like every uh, rule that we have. You have continued review of all of your rules. Uh, NRHA does it primarily on a two-year basis. Uh, at least that's where we are today. Uh, but uh, we certainly will be continue. We'll finish our review this year with uh, the uh, factors that we're looking at, and then uh, we will continue uh, having reviews on a consistent basis, on a move-forward basis for sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I, I think it's a big balancing act. I, I would tell you in all of sports, but certainly in horse sports, the use of modern medicine and then writing rules that allow you to use modern medicine for the benefit of our horses and competitors and then drawing the line on when it becomes unfair um, competition. I think that that's, that's a big piece in all of sports. But in our world, um, I think it's even more so because we do care about our horse and what that means. We have to care for the horse. Right. First and foremost, we have to care for the horse uh, because – we as riders, we as, as owners, if, if, if we don't feel well, uh, we're able to go to the doctor and the doctor's able to help us. So we have to be able to help our horses. However, when that goes into uh, performance enhancement that gives one uh, performer, one horse, an advantage over another horse that they didn't necessarily have, that can be problematic. It can be problematic as it relates to uh, future sales, um, knowing we need to know what those horses, how they performed, uh, under what circumstances they performed, because maybe we don't want to breed to that specific circumstance. Mm -hmm. And so those are things that we're taking into account, looking at, and um, there's not an easy answer here, and it is right. very divisive. Right. And um, as a board, we all know that uh, sometimes the votes go the way you think they should, and sometimes the, they don't. Mm -hmm. But we have to have faith that ultimately uh, the right decisions are made. In this, time, in this case, it has to be the right decision for the horse. And we know that the horses have 
uh, anxious moments. Every horse has anxious moments. It doesn't matter if it's coming out of the trailer. It doesn't matter if it's going over to get a drink of water with another horse standing there. They have anxious moments. And is that the appropriate, uh, is that appropriate to uh, help them through that anxious moment uh, to allow a, a small sedative? If that's the case, then we got it right. If not, uh, and it's perform and it moves into the performance enhancement, then we got it wrong, and we have to we will deal with it. Right, but you'll be able to find it out. That's, that's actually correct. where you're headed, right? That's correct. Yeah. that's ha- correct. Ha- have the details, have the data, have the facts, and yeah, then yeah, lead the industry where it wants to go. Uh, I'll Good. just Thank add you. real quick. Okay. Uh, I was Good. not on the board last year, so I was not part of the discussion or the decision, but. I have faith that the board of directors last year in particular made the best decisions they could given the facts that they had, and it's just a matter of as we find out more, there may be another plan or another uh, another process. Okay, good. Well, like you know, time, time will right. time will tell. That will that will, <laughs> that, will that will that will sort this out in the wash. And like you know, a lot of us guys that have have made a living on horses our whole life and you know i mean we've all got opinions on it and and we're just going to see what direction nrha takes this so it's really good um and this is a big this was a big part of it but you know you two have got the leadership roles and the nice thing about it is you've got some continuity because you've got essentially four years right the two Mm -hmm. of you so uh you know the commissioner's retiring you've hired a new director of officials um the industry itself is is trying to grow um Maybe what are one or two of the goals that you guys see, uh, you know, because, you know, the, the president of the association is a pretty important figure. <laughs> well, uh, Mark. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. There's, there's several things. There, well, there's, a, there's a number of items, but uh-huh. the f- first and foremost is that, uh, and, and I, I appointed Mike to head up this committee because I think he is uh, a highly qualified uh, but we did a cross-section of, uh, of influential, uh, bright uh, association members to join his uh, search committee to find our next commissioner. Mm-hmm. And I think the next commissioner will, uh, the, the, the pick, you know, Gary's done a, a great job. Gary was the right guy at the right time. Uh, he's made the decision to retire. And we're going to find that next commissioner that can take us on. And um, I think uh, uh, the the uh, group that has assembled that Mike has, I think they're going to do a wonderful job. But I think that's probably of all the things that will probably happen under under my two years, it's probably the most influential thing that will happen for the industry and for our association over the next ten to fifteen years. We have to get it right, and I'm. Fully confident that we will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else on that subject before we move on? Because I think um, one of the points, point of concern, what, Mr. President, what would be one of your primary points of concern when you look at the industry today going forward? Uh, one of the things that concern me isn't even industry. It's not really within the industry. It's outside the industry. Uh, everything in the industry, our sales are up, our entries are up. Every, it, it looks like we're on a keg of dynamite, and, and it is just exploding all around us. It's, it's pretty awesome to be a rainer right now. Mm-hmm. However, we have a war that's going on. Uh, we don't know how that ultimately may affect our European friends. You're talking about an international war. 
You're on. Keep yeah, going. Yeah. I just wanted to be clear. Yes. And uh, I think that war, I think the economy, I think those are things that are completely out of, of anything that we can do. That All we can do is keep our head down, do the best job that we can. Uh, but uh, those are factors that we have no control over that could dictate where this all ends up three years, five years from now. But right now, it's great. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm that I'm hoping that we can accomplish that we haven't been able to uh, to see for the <laughs> quite a number of years, and I think our judges deserve to get a little higher pay. Uh, We're going to talk officiating. We will. Because that's on that's on our list, and it's near and dear to Jody's in my heart. <laughs> you two guys want to talk officiating? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll leave that for later. But yeah. yes, yeah, exactly. No, we well, I mean, and I think that's I mean that's a good response. And and you know, the economy is certainly something that we can't you know that we can't control. And and there's some you know I mean there's some things that there's some things that you know, you can look back in the past, and some stuff didn't slow down and. You know, from that, when the COVID hit, you know, everybody thought it was going to be a major disaster. And, I, you know, the trainers that I talked to, I asked them if they'd lost any horses, and they all said no. Mm-hmm. I mean, so everybody just kept kept their livestock right with them. And, you know, I mean, the show's probably dropped off some, but NRHA's majors didn't. And, you know, it's it's a, it's a kind of the kind of like being in Vegas. It's a crapshoot. We just have to wait and see. Um, uh, well, yes. let, me, let me jump on you just to touch, Jody, because even if you go back to the 70s, 80s, and when the federal, when the U.S., uh, change capital uh, gains tax, and it had a big influence on the horse industry in those days and times. And so we've seen economic restrictions mm-hmm. and expansions accordingly, regardless of those factors. The beauty is, in our time, gentlemen, all four of us, we have continued to grow and move forward and do great things. I think that's where a bright light of... One of the bright spots out of covid was that it gave the trainers an opportunity to ride horses and tra- and maybe not put the stress on those horses uh, that they might have to if they had to get them ready in a shorter period of time. And I think it actually helped these horses uh, t- when COVID slowed things down on a, more on a natural basis, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the good byproducts that came out of COVID. Mm-hmm. In RHA, um, Mike and I were on the finance committee. We went I mean, we pulled everything out of the market. We put everything in cash. We, we unfortunately had to uh, downsize our staff. Uh, we had to make some critical choices to make sure that we had an NRHA because we had no idea looking out. We had no idea what two years was going to bring. We didn't realize that it was just pent-up demand that was going to explode. Right. But we put the association in a position where at least we felt that we had an opportunity to survive. And we, and that's all we can, I think that's all you can ask. Yeah, no, I, and good for you guys. Jody and I remember the days when we used to use our membership money in January <laughs> to pay the fraternity payoff right, a month exactly. earlier. So, that's right. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and I don't know what the current demographics are within the entire membership, but the point is that I know this because I run across people all the time, and I take it for granted that people that I'm talking to, I have to actually think about how old they are because they, they weren't even mm-hmm. around in the 70s and 80s. And so those things when we were younger, Jody, you know, are like a reflex. And you, you got half, the, half of them weren't, they don't know it. You mean like the farm crisis of the 70s that was uh, 20 years before most of these people were born? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's, I mean, that's, that's no, I mean, that's, that's really no joke. And it's funny to, it's funny that's that we right. talk, 
talk mm-hmm. about that stuff, but it's kind of like, you know, we'd go to, we'd go to NRHA fraternities for 20 years and know right. everybody. I went and monitored a show at Tulsa and, you know, 120 derby horses and there's, there's 25 kids showing the hell out of these things. I never, I didn't know who right. the hell they were, right? I'm right. Like, who, who's that, right? I mean, it's like, I, I don't know them. So that's how, that's how fast this thing is, is growing. And, and, uh, it's, it's right. I mean, it's, it's a good thing. It's positive. Yes. It's right. all good. It's hey, all good. Brian. Okay. Got Interrupt yes. real, one, one thing. Uh, one of our, one of the goals and goals as well as the exciting goals would be to take advantage of the excitement with Yellowstone, Run for the Million, or Teton, if you will. But it's also be prepared for if and when that wave crests and what happens on the downside, the war, the economy, something else happens, for us to be solid enough with our thinking and our planning that we don't run out of uh, dry powder either because something else happened. Yeah, well, Jody and I talk about that a lot, which is the, especially when you talk about the purse money. And if you look at the stats over five years, and actually I'm going to give you a simple one because the Quarter Horse News just published the top 15 mares producing. And here's my point. As an industry across cutters, cow horses, and rainers, the top 15 mares have dominated in the last 10 years versus lifetime. And that's significant, which tells you how fast the economics are coming at us. Right. Um, I, anyways, I found it very fascinating because that's how fast we're, we're moving. So, yep. Absolutely. Well, well, guys, here's a question that I, I, I ask about every one of our guests, and it's kind of a fun one, or maybe you've had a chance to, to check over this question already. But, you know, and especially when you're on the board, all right? Because, you know, we've been there. You know, Brian's been there. I've been there three separate times, so we know. But right now, who do you think has the most influence at your level? You think it's the professionals behind the scenes that because, you know, a lot of times – guys professionals you know we we talk heck you don't have time to serve a lot of times you know what i mean you try to make it that way but you know who who influences you guys and your decisions the most is it the non-pro the owner the sponsors the people who are giving you the money i mean let's be honest this is a self-serving business you know there's no question about that everybody wants what's best for themselves if you're a non-pro rider mike you want the non-pro purse to go yep. up you know what i mean and if you're if you're an open rider you want to get paid and i mean so who who do you think influences the most well i might add this jody uh, mike and i both are big advocates of masters classes <laughs> uh, <laughs> me too wonder wonder why yeah <laughs> yeah Oh, and funny. that's masters for the non-pros, correct? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, who influences? You want to yeah, I think first? so. Well, of course, I've been off the board for two years. I took a break and back at it now, so I'm a little bit behind maybe to answer this question. But I think if we're doing their jobs right, we are listening to all the influencers, whether where they came from or whatnot. And it's not always because they have a particular background in the industry, but because they have a good insight. That's that's important for us to, to pay attention to whoever that is with, with a good idea. But, but I think there's a lot more conversation right now that I'll say the elite or have a lot of influence, whether that be sponsors or owners or professionals or whatever, or non-pros. But I think it's important for us to keep in mind that NRHA is not just for the elite. It is certainly for the, all the regional and grassroots uh, members and contributors as well. But So we have to keep that in mind, keep it in balance. I've always been a big believer in committees. And uh, 
if you can get a good cross section of of really committed committee members, I truly believe that they should be your influencers. Um, we did a member survey just recently. Uh, just just shut the shut it down days ago, and we're accumulating the data. We felt that it was vital for us to listen to the members. Uh, you know, you, it's pretty easy to govern if you if if you want to make it a dictatorship, you do it yourself. But this isn't a dictatorship. This is an association of members, and we owe it to the members that we get their opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've always believed that if you get a lot of opinions and they tend to go in a certain direction, it's probably correct. You probably need to listen to them. And so that was one of the things that I felt was important when I first got started was to have a a, a, a good, strong uh, committee group and a good uh, a, a survey that went out. And uh, we seated our committees with some new people that had not served in the past but were maybe more committed into their local local areas uh, along with uh, some of them more, as, as uh, Mike said, a leader or maybe some of the other leaders. And, and um, I think it's working well. And, and that's what that's what we're attempting to do is get a is really get everybody's opinion and and help govern that way. Good. Well, I was going to ask so so far because it's early in both of your your presidency and term, but with your structure and and leadership, it's still early to see net results of that. Correct. But you have high hopes on because you've repopulated committees to and then charged them with the work that you need to do. I'm I'm interpreting a little bit. Is that yeah? About- that's correct. And yeah. we started a year ago with the uh, judge. We made some changes in our judges committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we felt that the the judges committee needed uh, expanded to uh, uh, more governance by the committee, uh, not not what you would might think of as more of an executive committee. We wanted the whole committee's input. Um, and I think that that serves itself well. And that was really where it started, Rick. Uh, kind of gave me the opportunity to uh, to work on that. Uh, that was kind of my entree into getting getting this started, so I could maybe get something moving before I took over. Because you know, two years is not very long to do anything that you want to do. You you almost catch your breath, and then you're getting the buckle, and they're patting you on the back, and you're moving on. So uh, we, I was lucky that Rick gave me that opportunity to to help him and and uh, help the. Comp- or help the association in that manner, right? Good. Well, I hope so. It'll be interesting to have that. Mike and I have talked about this a lot in our time, and I hear you on all of that, and I actually, we, we put it in there, so I'll, I'll do it now, because structurally, organizationally, association, government, all the rest of that, committee, and I hear you, um, and I, I hear you loud and clear. Structurally, though, where... Committees are great at doing the policy, looking vision, and back in my day, I'm sorry I have to make reference to that, but we always, we were doing a lot of work in my time to try and get the association to be set up to be looking and working forward. Yeah. And not because in my time it was about today. Yeah. We were just tending to today, you know, when I made reference to paying the fraternity stuff committees and its purpose and that's where committees would be great when you can look forward legislature governments that's kind of where they do the bad news is it moves slow 
Um, innovation is not always at the forefront of that kind of structure. I'm not trying to pick a side on one or the other. And I, the reason I bring it up is only because I hope so for you guys. With you and Mike, and you have some continuity because that's a piece in there too. You guys are, now the audience won't all know this, you guys are volunteer elected leaders. And, and, and I know you're not paid pros. You, you you do it because of the love and you've got time and energy, but it's also a big commitment. So when you start looking across, whether it's leadership or committee structure, you know, that that's, it's a lot of work. And that's always been a struggling component to get committed people to stay committed and then go look at forward moving things. Right. Yeah. If you, if you have committees and you, every time they come in with an idea and you, shot, uh, you, you shoot that down and you don't accept their idea or their vision, mm-hmm. uh, you won't soon have committees. Right. And I think sometimes as a leader and uh, being a visionary, I think it's vital to read your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all too often, I mean, Mike and I are pretty blessed right now because we're walking into a situation that we're on top of the world with raining. Uh, our horse prices are as high as, as, as ever. ever. You, you uh, are looking at entries and, and nominations like we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, our purses are higher than they've ever been. So it'd be pretty easy for us to say, my vision is not to screw this up. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, we've I, had we've had people behind us that have laid an awfully good ground for us mm-hmm. moving forward, and and uh, it'd be pretty easy for me to come in with a personal agenda and mess that up. And I can't, I, I I'm not doing it, and I've got the perfect partner to help me not do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mike's he's been there yep, before. Yep. yep. Uh, he I couldn't ask for a better teammate. Rick was a great teammate. Uh, Mike, I'm blessed with a good president in front of me and one coming in behind me to help me. And uh, we're here to do what we think is in the best interest. I think the next commissioner that we have will come in with a vision. Uh, I'm going to guess that they're going to come in with, um, they're going to be awesome with the staff. It'll be vital that we keep, we have an unbelievable staff at the NRHA. and, And... this Rainer suite that they've incorporated, they've put together, uh, is, I mean, it's put us light years ahead of where we were five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Patty, with the, the, the judges and, and the, the organization that, that, that the judges committee needed, the technology that they needed, they needed to place, we're implementing those things. We're putting them in place to, to allow us to move forward. But we can't be an impediment. We have to allow this thing to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, we have people that are waving their hands and they're saying, I want to be part of, uh, I, w- I want to put money in uh, to feel like I'm part of this thing. And, and uh, we had private uh, uh, members that wanted to put thousands of dollars into our added money, and uh, which is great. It, it can create problems. But it tells us that, we, that we're doing something right. We've got uh, sponsors like we've never seen before. Right. And uh, whether that started with Yellowstone, whether or not the Teton Ridge is, is part of it, I'm sure it is. But at the end of the day, uh, we just cannot stub our toe. We have to have that vision that we're moving forward. And uh, we look, we, I always say we look out the windshield, you don't look in the rearview mirror. 
Uh, wise, wise saying, which will lead us straight into social license to operate. And that's a big word now. And it's very true in the horse world. It's very true in our world. And as we all want bigger, better events and a bigger audience and bigger purses and all those things, it carries great responsibility. That's right. So I do want to talk about the social license to operate, and I'm going to then, because the circus, the Ringling Brothers, they were 100 years old, and they're coming back. The Ringling Brothers are coming back, but they're coming back without animals. They're going to stay in that entertainment space. I get it. But it's a very fascinating component in the 21st century because the amount of pressure that the audience can have, the social pressure, um, and I'm not sure how much of the horse world one is paying attention and two thinking about and then three being responsible with. And so it's worthy of at least talking about. So I'm right. You guys are in tune to this. You know what we're talking about. What's it mean to the sport of rain and what's it mean in the next three or four years to you guys as well, leaders? Let me jump in right here. Uh, first off, there will be a uh, this summer will be a strategic planning session held by the board and some invited uh, influencers in our business. The last time we did it was in 2017. If you go back and look what we said then, it's amazing by setting goals what we have accomplished. But when we meet this summer, I think the SLO, the social license uh, uh, agreement, will be on the table and for suffer a big part of the conversation too. The board needs to be thinking about that as a particular issue. Yes. Good. Well, well that's. Uh, we, I mean, I think that's that's great response, and I'll, I'm, there's there's several things that I'll bring up. But you know, the AHC and the USCF are now trying to address that same issue, uh, the social license to operate. And and what what and we've got away from USCF, you know. But what what does this mean to reigning as we attract a larger and larger audience, those eighteen to twenty thousand people that were in Texas? I just I think in general you're going to have a lot of people that were not the lifers, say like Brian and Jody and myself might have be or have been that didn't understand where we came from, but they're looking at the horse as a different kind of animal than we looked at it through the, through our through our eyes. It has been deemed a you know a uh, livestock rather than a um, pet animal. And I think we need to keep aware aware of the fact that that is not necessarily what today's environment is thinking about. Uh, they think of horses as something different from a livestock animal, and we have to be aware of that. Today, we're not in, this isn't 1970, 1980, it's not 2000. We're in a completely different world than we've ever been before. And we have to be very careful with our steps moving forward. And I think, as Mike said, uh, we're having a strategic planning meeting. Um, when I hear the Rainers uh, mentioned in the same uh, sentences with uh, USEF, uh, some of their issues with uh, Tennessee Walkers and some of those things, we have to take, we have to take that into account. And uh, we have to be very careful, and we can't be a. This, this isn't a special interest group. This is this. These are rainers. Um, they're good quality, high quality people. Good, like we said earlier, good folk. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. and uh, they want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, but there are always going to be people that are that might push an envelope in a direction that maybe isn't best for the whole association. 
and our board will take that into account. And I think the board as a group, we've got really a great board, good people. They want to do the right thing. And they will. They do. They have been. No, I hear you, but that's where the responsibility comes into play. And because competition in itself will make humans do what they normally won't. Um, and then it comes to putting our horses first. And the difference in Jody's and my time was there wasn't too many tomorrows. In today's time, there's a lot more tomorrows. Yeah, yeah. And, and we have to make sure that we're up to date with uh, current thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes... Sometimes we have to step off the merry-go-round for us to see that. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that our, our planning meeting allows some of the people that maybe haven't stepped off and, and don't realize how important that is, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it'll give them an opportunity to pause and, and regain their balance, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll do the right thing. Mm-hmm. They will. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think something that, that comes to mind when we're talking about this just briefly and and, you know, God bless my good friend Jeff Petska mm-hmm. because you know he, he there is one and only and he'll be sorely missed and he he told me something interesting about the first wag that he attended you know with the American team and he said it's you know it's he said it's education he said you know we get guys show stewards running out and they put the like the five spin limit on a horse in the practice pen and would run out and stop you immediately and he said they paid absolutely no attention to a vaulting horse in the headset being lunged in a round pen over there in the practice session for two hours at a time. That wasn't, that wasn't abuse, but spinning one five times was right. So it just, it's, it's, it's a matter of getting the word to the people that, that don't understand. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I just thought it was an interesting point. Good contrast. Yeah. Yes. And, 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 uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff will definitely be missed. He was a good man. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And he will be missed. Um, yes. Um, let's step a touch on that same subject, but let's talk national versus international and the world reigning that's going to happen in Givens this summer. And, and I don't know all the inner nuances. Jody and I have actually reached out because we're going to try and do a show with those guys, but the whole international reigning function and the NRHA has been trying to play multiple roles for all these years. Um, it, we don't have to go backwards because it doesn't matter. Each one of those steps is going um, FEI, blah, blah, blah. But the sport of reining, and I would then say I'm somewhat biased because the discipline of reining is farther on an international level than most of the other Western advanced disciplines. So that puts the sport of reining in a very uh, unique kind of position when you look at it internationally. But talk a little bit on, one, what does this world reining piece that they're going to put together in Givens mean? Uh, what does it mean to you guys as leaders? Where's the NRHA and the international component? Is it time that the international one question is, does the international community even need an organization? Maybe not. It just might need some producers to do some international competition. That's just an option. Where are you guys on all that? Well, I think, uh, Brian, if you remember, even before the FEI and um, association, there was the IRC, which was the International Reining uh, Committee, Commission, whatever. And we held competitions back in the early 90s against different countries, a pro and a a non-pro, if you will. So it's it's been going on a long, long time. But uh, the NRHA's mission is to promote reining horses, not necessarily NRHA events or 
things that we do the heavy lifting for. So I think it is excellent to have uh, families and uh, uh, and promoters like uh, Karina doing the thing in Givens right now. That's ideal. That's something that is not easily done by the NRHA, but a promoter, whether it be in Scottsdale or Switzerland, uh, I think can do that very well with our help, of course, if, as needed. But it's not where we have to do the heavy lifting. So I think it's a good, good, uh, good for everybody that she's doing that. I also think they, when they retooled, whatever it was, Mike can help me with that, back in... World Equestrian Games? 16, 17? No, I was thinking of the European oh, Council. Sure. We downsized the board. Uh, uh, you know, we, we really handed the, the baton to the Europeans and said, we mm -hmm. will help you, and, uh, but this is, this is yours to take and run with. And uh, so that's really ultimately what we've tried to do. We've tried to be a support system and allow them... Um, much more latitude to Mike's point of, of running their shows, setting up their shows with our back room and with the Rainer suite, et cetera. But ultimately, that was the goal. And I think it's, it was highly successful. Which could be a model going forward because then in the international community, it, it, they don't have to be organized. You just got to be able to have competitions that have standards and rules. That's right officials and all the components go with it as well as records i can i can say that i've been on uh i don't know 10 calls with the europeans with their the council and <laughs> i have yet to really understand all the words that i'm hearing <laughs> <laughs> i try <laughs> But they do a good job. They they understand. I, I have yet to found a European that speaks Southern yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think Mark Mark yeah. correct. NRHA's role is not necessarily to govern every little detail that happens worldwide. That's not what we want to do, or we can do. We can't do it effectively. So letting the Europeans, in particular make their own decisions about the day-to-day -day items that happen within their, within their continent, I think is, is a great way for us to share the responsibility for governance. Obviously, we keep the backbone of the organization together, but again, let these uh, Oceania, uh, South America, do their own thing, so to speak, with our backing. Right. Okay, cool. I mean, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's not a... It's not a new no. problem. It's been, I mean, it's not, I don't even want to say it's a problem. It's been going on for a very, very long time, but way before you guys came, came back in again. But, um, okay, just, just from the time frame standpoint, I'm going to move ahead here a little bit, even though we could talk about that subject for a lot longer, I promise you. But I, I asked Brian to include this question for you guys um, in the script just because it's a topic that's come up over and over and over again, whenever I'm with a group of Rainers, we talk about NRHA, even some of you know, NRHA's old staff. But, you know, NRHA owns and produces the Derby and the Futurity. And when I was on the board, you know, the Futurity would typically make money, the Derby would lose money, and, but that's just the way it went. But, I mean, it wasn't a big deal, Futurity successful. Um, we've got some third-party management now. I mean, we always had some, but it, replacing the in-house staff, it's now a nominated breeding program. And I, I just want to... The topic that comes up is that, I, you know, from a guy that's been self-employed his whole life, the only one that ever wrote a paycheck to me was me. So I was always pretty conservative because that money was too darn hard to make. But, and even from a management standpoint, I, I wanted to stay that way. My, 
Brian, he'll laugh because my answer when I, you know, spent the five years chairing the judges committee is that the answer is always in the middle, right? I mean, if I've got two seventy four to seventy two, the three is the right mark. But I think that I, I think that leadership should be that way or tries to be that way. Also, you know, not too far left or right. But when NRHA lost some staff and and perhaps you know decided that they wanted to go to an outside management standpoint to handle everything. I mean, they, uh, NRHA always handled its entries in-house. They handled the monies in-house, everything in-house, because, heck, it's 30 seconds away from the Oklahoma State Fairgrounds. And now that we've got outside show management handling everything, and you guys are, you know, have, have spoken about maybe, you know, making sure that, that you're ready for something, that there is a downturn, what, what the heck happens if – if there's an issue with show management and if there happens to be a, I mean, it seems like all the eggs are in one basket and if something turns south, it would be a epic crap storm. Uh, just a, just a question. Do you guys ever see NRHA going back and taking over some of that? Maybe not all of it, but just parts of it. I mean, just a question. Oh, I think the answer is something goes south. It's very, very simple. Brian and I ran the Carolina Classic for 20 years, so this, this, we can do that, not a problem. <laughs> that, does that mean you're I'll call, call you me? if that happens. Yeah, right. uh, Jody, I think the, the first thing is, uh, I'll say the, the rest of the world, so to speak, in any kind of industry, looks for the things that they do best and do that in-house or can't be done elsewhere. But services and uh, talent that can be Use on a routine, on a frequent as needed basis, like we're doing right now. Although it seems to be a year-long proposal, the Derby and the Fraternity are operating very, very well now. Uh, that not that they weren't, were operating well before, but they're operating better now. And I would say that um, part of the conversation was the Fraternity is an event, the Derby is more of a horse show. We were oftentimes trying to make the Derby in itself an event like the Futurity, and so sometimes we got ourselves confused. We're operating as a horse show. I, I will say that, uh, I'll say proudly, I think uh, 2020, when, when COVID helped us, that was the first year the Derby had turned a profit ever was in 2020. 21 and 22, it, it did so as well. So, again, by going outside and being able to have those – expenses outside was was a good move for us well i think the horse industry i can speak on this one in first person the horse industry got a luxury through mm -hmm. covid because of the nature of what we are and the world wanted to clamp up and stay inside and because of our world we're actually outside which was the safest best place to be which the horse world learned a lot of things through covid um, and so good on the national level that those have truly been plateaus in the steps because the Derby always struggled. Right. So good. That's it. Cool. Uh, good and great. Great information for me, too, because it, it'll help the next time it comes up, <laughs> right? Because like, <laughs> some of those things never die. Um, <laughs> you know, and we, we've, you know, briefly spoke about this before, gentlemen. Let me ask you again, um, since the, for the outside listeners, you know, since the fraternity has about 600 horses, there's another 1,400 for the NAAC. Is it time to separate these programs and produce a national event for each one? Well, uh, I was, I looked at that question and I was, because I've, I've been on both sides. I've been on in, basically in both shows. Mm -hmm. 
And it's fascinating to me the the cross crossover from the futurity side of the people that are coming over, the horses that get sold to the non-pros or to to the affiliate side, and the affiliates that come over and what they learn. Uh, I, I, in a in a perfect world, uh, and maybe because of size, we may be forced to separate the two. But I think they complement each other extremely well uh, with uh, sales, uh, talent, um, learning. Uh, it gives everybody an opportunity, I think, to, to uh, blend together the way it should. And I don't see right now, I don't see us separating those unless we get to 4,000 <laughs> horses and we just can't deal with them uh, altogether. But it is fascinating to me. Uh, that 1,400 of those horses are on the affiliate side mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to 600 that are on the open or non-pro uh, futurity, futurity side. side. Right. right. But when you said you were on both sides, that'd be as a exhibitor and it, or owner. Correct. Because you've owned horses on both sides That's and you've right. exhibited on both sides. That's right. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, cool. Well, and I, you know, like I said, the guys, we'll, we'll probably t- end up talking about this here in a little bit again, anyway. But there's been some, there's been some times I've monitored that horse show, and and uh, you know, I've had to take some of my girls out of the judges' room and go relieve the scribes, you know, over in the Attaquan because it's two o'clock in the morning, and uh, right. you know, there's nobody in the world that wants to be there at two o'clock in the morning. Not the judges, not the exhibitor, and certainly not the. You know, not, not me, but uh, anyway, so, you know, I mean, it's just a, it's a, and there's no, there's no clear answer for that because you're, you don't have an idea about how many try maybe go by your entries the year before. And then all of a sudden they're double the next mm-hmm. year you're, you're stuck, but man, it's a, Jody, it's a, yes. Yeah. One of the problems that we've had down there is, is uh, the scheduling, you know, we don't have enough, we don't have enough day, It sounds crazy, but we don't have enough days down there. Mm-hmm. And if we could pick up, which we've worked on and we're working on, if we can pick up uh, two extra days. And with Oklahoma City, we've talked to uh, the the State Fair. Uh, There are some spots where maybe we can set up additional arenas for warm-up, those types of things that are needed. Uh, And with the new structure, with the new facility that's going in, of course, it's going to be a couple years of uh, Hassle Castle down there. But once it's done, I think it's going to be pretty spectacular. But we've done it before. Mm-hmm. We've shown through their capital expansions. Yes. Um, I, I think that's a, that's an interesting point. Uh, venues and and programming and and daily programming and horse shows versus events were all key things that we've kind of been talking about in that subject. And the fraternity is at the prep at the brink of that. Yes. So you guys are being faced with the pressure of having to analyze that. That's okay. right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Uh, success. We talked about success. The and price we, of it. There it is. Correct. Yep. Exactly. And it kind of goes, goes along with this, with the next question about growth of the industry. And it's like, you know, how, how do you measure and manage growth for NRHA? You know, the membership's been a little bit flat over the past few years. Um, the U S membership, very flat uh, and horse nominations and numbers are up. Is there, uh, is there something that the board has thought about as far as increasing membership? Are we satisfied with the way that the numbers are right now, as long as the shows stay the size they are? Just a, just a question. 
Uh, Jody, I'll take that one. I think there, there are probably three primary things that uh, that come to mind first that uh, we need to look at. One would be membership. Two is what are our purses look like as far as growth in money. And three, growth in entries. Uh, and each one of those have unique characteristics that make them the perfect uh, measurement tool and then not as good. I'll say on the membership, the uh, advantage to be a member of the NRHA today is to be a breeder, show owner, uh, to be a showman, if you will, showing, etc. But the other advantages of being a member of NRHA have somewhat gone away in terms of information. Uh, the Rainer was, was one time was a coveted um, document. It's now available on the, the, uh, our website for free for anybody to go look at. So again, the value of that membership in the, that regard has kind of diminished. So just looking at the membership only is, is not correct. If you look at the purse money, you want the purses to grow accordingly, but that does not necessarily reflect the growth, say, at the regional or affiliate level because those purses don't change as dramatically as our big-age events do. So what we kind of came down to in 2017 was our number of entries that we have worldwide. And uh, just I'll throw some numbers out. We looked at those numbers in 2017, and we had about 103,000 entries worldwide per year. We set a goal of, by 2022, of having 125,000 entries per year. And we, in fact, surpassed that in 2022. Now, that brings up another question. Was that this means that you have more entry, more divisions, and horses are entering more levels and uh, same run, but more more uh, classes entered? Uh, and, and that's a great question. We've done a, I've done a little bit of research, and Mark's got that is with him as well. But if you look at our total entries, the – Entries have grown 22% since 2017, of which 20%, excuse me, 12% of that growth has come from uh, age event uh, horses, or derbies and fertility. So that goes, tells me that the bulk of that growth has come from ancillary shows, uh, horses entered in obviously beginner, but uh, the green, the rookie, et cetera, that's all been exposed, has been exploded in the, the non-pro, whether it be the Masters or the, uh, the primetime. The Masters certainly get the most credit there, I think, Mark. Are you, are, do you agree? <laughs> I would wholly endorse that so, comment. So having said that, having said that, the membership has, has been on a slight increase. We had a dip down, which is obvious with the COVID but it's back to where uh, better than it was pre-COVID. But uh, even at that, our nominations, I think early on we, we anticipated, we set a goal that we would like to have 3,000. It had hovered for several years around 2,500. Right now it's, it's bumping, it's over 3,000 for this year, for the 22 folds that is. So uh, it's a lot of things that we're hitting on almost all the cylinders right now. And that will show up two to three years from now. Right at the maturity. Right. So we know we know we're good for a while. Right. But when when you start seeing those dip, then you know two or three years from now you don't want to be on the board or you don't want hey, to be Mark, present. Mark, let me jump. <laughs> the scary part of that is the scary part of that is I think, and I'll quote a stat that it may not be absolutely correct, but about thirty five percent, thirty five percent of the foals nominated actually go enter the maturity. 
So 30%, 35% of 3,000 is 1,000. So we can uh, look right. for that. Which puts you in a proportionate piece to 600 to 1,000 because that's what your future right. would look like. The that's other right. good thing, I'm going to jump on this one in two spots because when you measure entries – it, it's true in your numbers. You guys got 22 numbers that we didn't have. We had 21. Yeah. So we looked at we looked at 19 and 21, knowing that COVID yeah. year was the anomaly. But the point is um, competition licenses um, and nominations were two big ones that were clearly indicators of positive green mm-hmm. movement. The other thing that was very interesting, and I did simple math, was crea- finding out how many entries per mm-hmm. horse. And that's a very, because now again, I'm going backwards in my time, that was one to one or one to two. It's now one to 10 or could be pushing 12, which that's good because horses, we know this about the sport. Horses are staying longer, showing more and being more active. I mean, in our time, it was, it was the fraternity and then there was no life after fraternity. As an industry, we're clearly there and your numbers say that. And that's what you're talking that's, about, that is right, correct. Mike? Yeah. Well, actually, the good news is we're kind of growing on both ends. Our fraternities, age event horses, those numbers are up, so that's happening. And then, as you said, they graduate right. into their ancillary classes for the most part, and they're growing you know, exponentially as well. So, yeah. Right. If, if I could look at two measures, I think I like the entries, but I will tell you that nominations are very key, mm-hmm. and I also believe – one thing we haven't talked about, more professionals. If we had more professionals, I think that would resonate back into increasing uh, activity as well. Yeah. I got it. And the amount of professionals to non-professionals in the membership is is like mm-hmm. eight to one. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, and I'm, I don't know if there's an ideal sweet spot in there. I don't know, either. But I really think it's an economic function because – if a guy can make a living and live the lifestyle they want, you're going to see more people play the game. All trainers are saying, I'm having a hard time finding help. You hear that. I, Jody, that's not anything new in your lifetime. Oh, Lord, Can't no. find good help. It's, it's, but there's, yeah. this will correlate to the officiating component when we get to it. And the point is, but because that's the way, because the way Jody and I have talked about this, because of the way we came through the industry does not mean that the next generation has mm-hmm. come through it the same way. And that's a cultural philosophical shift that I think our current group has got to open their mind a little bit because bringing the next generation in will be different than how they came through. That's right. That's so, right. Because we're in a different world. Yes. And a lot of the new professionals that we see here aren't even, mm-hmm. we're never, they're not native to our country. Right. They're from Brazil. They're from all, mm-hmm. all parts of the world. Mm-hmm. They definitely are. And I, you know, I've, we, Ryan and I have had this discussion also guys, and it's still the one thing that has not changed is making a living, being a professional is not easy. I mean, you right. know, it is a, man it's it can be difficult and like i said it's it's probably become financially way easier with the amount of money that there is now in the business but it's still a great deal Mm -hmm. of work and you know we've we've talked about that i i'm not so sure that the reason that we're not having as many new 
foreign young trainers come in is because they're willing to put the effort in. And I'm not so sure that we've got our American kids that want to do that anymore. You know, I mean, they're like, they've grown up seeing their dad do it and go, eh, eh, we're not going there. You know, I mean, it just, just throwing that out there, but it's true. Well, true. And I want to jump on that one to touch because I'll challenge us as an industry, because the point is while there's more money to be had and made, that also costs more. So, you know, your capital costs, your commitment, it, it's proportionately relative over time. So, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, uh, before we even started the show, I mean, I, I can make reference to the first loan I took. I got I got a loan interest rate at 11 and a quarter percent. It was in the uh, mid 80s. And I thought it was a great deal. And I was scared to death because of the commitment that I was making. And I couldn't see light at the other end of the tunnel. We're 40 years later. Okay, fine. And when you talk about the economics of time, but you're now talking about a group of professionals that even though they can go earn a quarter of a million or a million a year in, in purse earnings, depending on, but their drive, their, trucks and trailers are, you know, you're, you got a quarter million or half million in a rig let alone payroll, let alone insurance, let alone real estate property. Um, you know, farms in our time, Jody, is what, four or five times now? Sure. It's just, a, it, they, they're realizing it's a lot easier to do these podcasts and make big money <laughs> than it is to go out. <laughs> they call that wisdom. They yeah. call that wisdom. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's a... I mean, it's a true, it's a true story, but it's like I said, there's, there's no, there's no good answer to that. I mean, I was fortunate because I, I, you know, I just operation was small and I wanted one employee and Oklahoma state university was close to me and, and the girls were perfect employees and they were, I mean, they worked hard and, and were, you know, wanted to be part of it. So it's, uh, but you know, like I said, there's, there's guys that, you know, have so many horses that at, at some point you reach a state of diminishing returns because you've got some money and you, you know, I mean, where are you going to find the help? Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's, it's, it's not going to go away. Um, but uh, no, but <laughs> there's, there's no businesses in today's time that aren't faced with those same things. If you're going to be successful, you're going to have to work hard. It doesn't matter what you do. There you go. Mm-hmm. Our exactly. president speaking well right there. <laughs> right. There you have it. <laughs> okay, guys, we, we, you know, we talked about it briefly, but, you know, we know that the show and event production is changing. Okay, right? You know, we've seen the run for a million. You know, fill that coliseum up at the South Point. We just saw 18,000-plus in person. Um, you know, in Arlington, um, it was great, great shows, but they're changing like crazy. So, you know, these highly modified events are presented to be the, you know, best to attract the audience, which, you know, I mean, if we want more people to watch and get into the business, that's what we do. But what does this mean for NRHA, uh, and, and the rules and the processes for the show production? Are we going to stay the same? Are we going to try to make it more audience friendly? Um, you know, the records for earnings and eligibility, how are we going to handle it? All right. Uh, jump in right here myself. Um, <clears throat> I think, and this, I'm being careful how I say this, a lot of our rule book, <laughs> being careful how I say because I don't want to be, be misconstrued by, by the audience, a lot of our rule book that we have right now is based upon the premise of world championships. That's the reason we don't change any competition rules during the year, et cetera, because that has effect on the world, could have effect on the world championship, depending upon it's open or non-pro or whatever. But these other events, 
don't necessarily have to follow that same no changes allowed path for their production. So we allowed for the Arlington show one less circle on each side for the raining pattern. Now, I talked to one of the judges, and that created a little bit of, of less of a maneuver for them to actually score. So circles did not – it was hard to get a plus one and a half if you're running just one big, one small circle. It's hard to do it. But I think we as an as a industry – it's actually not. It was well, just hard for been. them. Go ahead. <laughs> could have been, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, it's, that's a fact. But anyhow. Keep going. Uh, I, but I do think that for <laughs> events like Arlington, the American Performance Horseman, it, I don't think it's bad or wrong for us to allow that kind of uh, leeway. Obviously, we, the very first run for the me, and it was an invitational event only for the, you know, for the, the qualifiers to run there. Since then, there is a qualifying process for the riders. The horses still can be at, at their choice. So there's a lot of nuances to what, what records we want to keep and how we want to do it and what el how that affects eligibility. But I don't think we need to be as ironclad as we had, have been in the past for everything. That's, yeah. that's the big one. So, and the answer is you guys are thinking of that, you're aware of that, and then looking into the future, which is like all the other rules. That show, by, the, by modifying that show, we don't really know, but we had a hunch that by modifying the show and allowing it to move forward, that this next year and years following, we will probably have more participation to mm -hmm. try to get there to make that money. So it, it bleeds down to all other mm -hmm. shows. Uh-huh. And yep. you also have to remember the old – go back to Arnold Palmer and how much money he won when he was playing golf versus the 120th golfer last year that you can't name who that is. Right. Made more money than Arnie did in his whole career. Right. But he was more mm -hmm. influential, somewhat like Bob Loomis, mm -hmm. much more influential than any of these other, other golfers. Mm -hmm. and, and it's happening in our sport. So we can't just look at – Oh my gosh, we have to just we have to stay the same. It is changing. It's it's flat out changing. Well, that's what the industry keeps talking about and they keep talking about the pressure of money. Because if it's just about money one, then other things get clouded. And so I'm going to tell you right now if it's just about money, then Casey and Andrea wouldn't be down there trying to beat each other's brains out. Right. It's about the competition. It's in their blood. Right. It's and about being number 1. That's right. Yeah. No, I got it. Right. I do too. And we, we spoke briefly about that. Is there a point in time that, that, that when we talk about it, it seems like, you know, when, when, when an outside organization, you know, like Teton throws that much money out and says, we're just going to do whatever we want. And we go, okay, because we, you know, we think it's better. We, th we think it's better for the business. Um, at what point in time does that ever stop? I mean, is it when they decide, you know, if we're going to give the fraternity a quarter million dollars and we want to run it too? I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, is there a point in time that that, that, that could become an issue? Well, what do, you, what do you think the response was to Taylor Sheridan when he told the people in Vegas that he was going to charge for a horse show? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they they looked, thought he'd lost his mind. That's right. Yeah, correct. They looked yeah. at him like he was crazy. Right. Now look at it. Right. Yeah. Teton piggybacked right on top of that yes and that it's not going to stop mm -hmm. there that we that's why mike and i have to we have mm -hmm. to have open minds yep and we have to let them 
do it. We have to let that truck drive right on through. Which is actually about letting the market set the tone. Is that is that a fair statement between you uh, two as leaders? A great example of, of letting the market uh, set the pace, there's been a, a, a lot of conversation for years about having an amateur division So uh, for the non-pro, yeah. as part of the non-pro, if you will. Uh, we allowed uh, a derbies to exist over the last couple, three years that would have an amateur division as a test. If those are successful and the amateur division shows that it can sustain itself, that is a great deal. Rather than saying, no, 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 we're never going to do that, here's an opportunity. Now, however, if they right. don't sustain themselves for whatever reason, then then it had its day and it's, it's, it's the proof is there. So that's an opportunity for um, for us to loosen up and uh, take a chance. Right. No, I hear you. I think that's an, that we could do a whole show Absolutely. on that conversation, the non-pro amateur one, which we won't. But yeah. maybe sometime in the future. That's an interesting mm-hmm. one when you look at it kind of from above and get out of, you know, being in it as much. And that's where all of us have a hard time. I want to step us just to forward because we're gonna we're short on time, and I want to talk about officiating. It always happens; it goes fast. Um, but I want to talk about officiating, and I, I'm going to simplify it right here on the front side, which is the depth of competition. And I don't care if it's the weekend horse show or the American Performance Horseman of the Run for the Million or last year's fraternity. Um, is is at levels that we used to dream about, so it's there. The officiating is not at the same level. It's not. And then comes, as a sport and an industry, the officiating system that was created in 85 has not truly advanced itself at the same levels that our competition is from breeding all the way up to um, training and and competitors showing. And the point is, I assume you guys are somewhat in tune to that. And then, two, because here's the rest of it. As a sport, the conflicts we were talking about from the American Performance Horseman, the conflicts as you go up in significance of competition between officiating and competitor are actually very well defined as you go up, and they don't cross over. And, yes, there are places that people have played on both sides of that fence, but there are logical steps later in that as you go up. If you're a competitor, how many NFL quarterback MVP Super Bowl champions are also officials. Mm-hmm. Not many, because they're two different paths. I just use it as a dorky analogy. In the sport of reigning, reigning was the leader when it came to officiating. We were innovative. We created something that didn't exist, and the pursuit to keep up with it is kind of where we are as an industry. So where where are you guys going okay. with that? Well, I, I, obviously, Brian, you and I have had uh, several late nights talking about <laughs> judging over the years, so it's it's not a new topic, and, and, and I appreciate the, the uh, opportunity to talk about it. Uh, one, I think the, uh-huh. where our, uh, the competition has certainly risen. You've got more great horses now than you had 30 years ago. Our training methods have certainly improved and able to make just phenomenal athletes perform at a higher level. We've had even the aside from the training, you have greater horsemen today than you might have had 30 years ago. So that all take that into consideration. Our judges have to be advancing as well, just like the competition has. 
I think a step in that is getting bringing Patty Carter in to be our director of you know education and officials. It's not, and I'll say her job is not just about judging. It's certainly monitors and stewards and, and the whole behind the scene part. But the judges have to advance as well. Now, what does a 75 look like or a 78 look like? A lot of those differences are small, as you know because you have to look at more things than you used to have to look at um, when in a performance. The, uh, the lead departures, you know, the how much resistance or little or no resistance, willingly guided or not willingly guided. Those uh, subtle points, not always subtle, but those points need to be emphasized as well as our judges being trained to at, uh, apply those to their scores. Uh, I think you guys, have, we've had several conversations about different nuances, having another judge that just judges penalties, having an a, 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 um, expanded score uh, in, in, in quarter systems. There, all those things have merit, and they all will be looked at. And I think through uh, Patty's eyes and her efforts, we'll be able to look at those things and say, what do we need to do with the system in addition to training our judges better? Good. Yeah, I, I would agree, Mike. And, and, and I, the strides that the judges' uh, schools have made, what they're attempting to do, making this a judges' committee, um, we've, we're with the judges' committee. We've got uh, some phenomenal teachers that uh, I truly believe the things that they're telling me that they're looking into – uh, additional cameras here or there, those types of things. I think all of that will be implemented. I, all, I, I believe that they're on it. There is a, there is a, a couple things that, that I see that we're trying to work on this. Um, one, I see a lot of uh, judges that uh, are, were, or people were on the judges committee. Uh, we, I didn't see any new faces. There's no, it's, you know, we talk about new members. You need new, you need new thoughts also. And we've added two people each one of the last two years that were, had never been on the, on the uh, judges committee. And the feedback that I'm getting from the other people on the committee, it's awesome. Because they're, they're telling things or say, saying things that kind of like we're, we're in a different world. They're, they're talking in a different language, if you will, uh, a newer language to the judges. Uh, I think the application, you can get kind of lazy in anything that you do. And if you're just constantly judging, uh, it's the application that's, that, that's vital. And I think the, the, uh, the direction that the committee takes after a show in analyzing, uh, and Patty's helping with that, Eugenio is the very first uh, European that's ever been the head of an NRHA committee, uh, which I, I'm proud to say I, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, Mike McIntyre agreed to come back and, and, and help with the committee. We brought some additional new people in. I think they're doing an awesome job. The school attendances are up, uh, and it's what we're hearing is that, 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 uh, that the attendees are learning uh, more than they've learned uh, for quite some time, so they're they're engaged, and when you can engage that group, you can pay them more money 
we're going to get better judging. And that's what I, I really see that. That's what uh, was, we went through it at the winter meeting this year. Mike did an incredible presentation for everyone that was there um, of, of analyzing the horses that went through the futurity, the top five horses. And, and we were, they were talking about the, the difference between the speed in the arena and the speed on the tape you know, and, and how, what that impact was. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal how they went through that. I just, I believe in the system. I believe that we've got things in place to get us uh, in, in a place where we, we need to be and will be. Well, I hope so. I hope so. And I'm going to speak a little bit because um, I hope so. Yep. We're all in this together, and I absolutely hope so. I can tell you myself directly, um, on the officiating component. One of the reasons I stepped on and retired my license is because it wasn't moving and it wasn't going in the right direction. So I had to be responsible for myself, period. And now I'm not, I have no, I, I, it's fi- I'm fine and I'm older, so it, it's okay. And I'd always told myself and told a lot of my colleagues when we used to sit around, how do you know? It's, it's like knowing when to get off the horse. You have to know when to get off. Right. You have to know when to quit. Right. Well, in my case, for me, I had to look at myself and it was time to not. I hope for the sport and the industry, everything that you said, so good for both of you. And I, I was thrilled to, to have you two on and we can talk about this stuff. But that piece, hang on, because motivating what, what makes a great judge a great judge is a big question. And then the second one is how do you help them to perform great every time you need them? Um, that's, and that's what you're talking about. So I, I hope so for all of us. There's a lot to be done there. I don't think anybody that has never sat in the chair in, at the maturity at the finals, when that horse runs in, I don't think, if you haven't sat in the chair, you have no idea correct. what you're in for. Correct. Flat out. That is correct. And you've got to make got decisions. To That's right. Yep. And, and, it, and it's easy uh, stopping the the film and going back and trying it again. Oh, well, you know what? They did swap a lead there. You don't get that luxury. Correct. And so teaching is vital. Yes. Jody's a big one on education, education, right. education. He'll, he'll preach on two things, education and in the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. And because they don't fail, right. right? I mean, those, those two things are for sure. So, yeah. it, you know, and I, and here's, I just want to, I'm interested in where this came from because I'd, I had stepped down. I'd chaired the committee for five years, spent 20-plus years on it. And when I had stepped down, the last two years I chaired it were for Rick. And, you know, I'd, I'd asked them, and you guys have had a chance to think about this a little bit, and I told them, I said, you know, that, that directors of judges, which is now the title has changed to judges' education, but the director of judges, I said, is a spot that needs to come back. I said it's needed badly to maintain consistency where it was. So six years pass, right? I mean, that's about how long it's been since I chaired. Probably see two of two. I'm trying to go two, four, six, three different committee chairs sure. since I've been in there. <laughs> and, Just count the presidents. <laughs> right. But anyway, it, you know, I was told at that time that the committee was in great shape. And it would be a waste of resources. The position wasn't needed. And that was just that came from the commissioner and from and from the president. So at what point in time did the pressure come from the officials or from the from the professionals, from the who decided that suddenly that position was viable and needed to come back? 
Well, I think it was a combination of factors. I think we looked at it. Um, I think we were we were just. Uh, I'm just going to uh, maybe put it on the surface that we saw things that maybe we thought could be improved, mm-hmm. and we felt that we needed somebody full time. We didn't have anyone full time uh, helping. We didn't have the technology that we needed. And we felt that those were things that, as a board, we felt those were things that were needed. And it, the decision then was made um, uh, to hire that. Uh, we talked to the committee, and um, we had support from the committee. Um, uh, it, it's a delicate sure. balance because, sure. you, you know, you can't have a – you can't have the perception that you've got somebody that's dictating something, even as president. I'm not a dictator. I can't. I, I have. I'm serving, mm-hmm. um, and and to your point, not making a lot doing it. You know. Yeah. But at the end absolutely. of the day, like, like, like yeah. zero. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I will say we get forty dollars at two horse shows for dry cleaning. So there's and, <laughs> right. Uh, you, you get cafeteria coupons for lunch too, don't you? We do. Oh boy! <laughs> right. That's yeah. right. I would. Here, I, I would also. Skippy. Yeah, I, I would tell the viewing audience that the three times that I served on that board of directors, there wasn't a single board meeting that at some time I didn't want to drink the hemlock because <laughs> I would have done anything to get out of there. So I'm telling you, it, it, the reigning horse business may be on fire. The cow horse business on fire. The board meetings are still that way, I will promise you. So anyway, gentlemen, you I mean, I I appreciate what you are doing. Thank you. Well, Jody, along yeah. that line, uh, back in the, the, the 2000 and O's when I was on the board at that time, uh, it was a two-day executive committee meeting and then it was a two-day board meeting and a day to get ready and a day to drink to get over it. So it was pretty yeah. <laughs> But now, and and I'll give a lot of folks this credit, not so much Mark and I, but, you know, Zoom helps a lot, and um, the board meetings are much, much, much more efficient than they used to be. So so you might want to try it again someday, Jody. (laughs) (laughs) See, now, Jody, you've got time. It might be just right up your alley. (laughs) You first. (laughs) (laughs) I've served. Right. Yeah. No. Well, gentlemen, um, yeah, of, of course, we could go on forever because this is all near and dear to all of us. And so I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to say thank you. Um, thank you both for, one, taking the time, two, being willing and open to sit down and talk about these things on the record, three, you know, opening the minds and opening the arms and welcoming more people into the sport of reigning because I think that's ultimately what we all want to do and keeping our horses um, on the forefront of that because it's it's our responsibility to do it so um thank you thank you very much thank you for your service both of you mike thank you for your service second time coming back right may i say one last thing uh, and this is uh two two presidents sitting in front of me on the screen and i'll say this for us (laughs) we what gave me comfort the first time and this time as well is people a lot smarter than me meaning you two guys in particular and a lot dumber, haven't ruined it yet. So how bad can we do? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well put. Exactly. Yeah. 
That is way good. And gentlemen, thank you for your time. Like I said, I know what you have to go through. Uh, you know, you're, you're working on top of this too. So yeah. it's not, it's not just because it's your vacation time, but, uh, anyway, we appreciate you and the industry appreciates what you do. Thank you. Yep. You bet. Thank honor. you both very much. We really appreciate it. Remember the audience, cowboyoffice.com. Put your email in. You can reach either one of these two guys at nrha.com. We will have the links on the website. And until next time, enjoy the ride. Yes. Thank you again. And, you know, until next time, stay in the middle. Absolutely. Today's episode is brought to you by 40 Productions in cooperation with the Consultment Agency, a full-service agency that helps bring forward-thinking equine brands into the 21st century using digital skills and services such as website development, graphic design, social media, and media production such as the podcast you're consuming here today. Thank you so much for riding along with us today. Sign up at cowboyoffice.com to be the first to know about topics affecting the industry we love so much. You can reach out to us with topics you care about by finding us on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. And remember, share this episode with someone that may enjoy it, because the more we can share our horses with others, the better our world will be.